Thanks, Dave. What a story. <laughs> and we'll try and, uh, I'll try and unpack some of this. We won't be able to get through it all, but, um, and then we'll have a time of response. So, but I, I think the question that the story presents to us, especially in response to um, this, uh, these shootings from yesterday, is if, have you ever found yourself in the midst of a storm um, in your life? And, you know, I remember, it could be a literal storm. I remember one time when I was a kid growing up in Spokane, um, and there was a report of a tornado in Spokane, which doesn't happen often. I remember running into our basement, and that horrible... Um, chill-inducing noise of the emergency alert system came over, I think our radio or TV, that you know what I'm talking about, some of you know. This is a test, except it wasn't a test. And uh, I just remember being huddled there with my mom, my dad, my sister, and some neighbors, just out of, in sheer terror for our lives. I remember where I was, what I was doing, the moment Mount St. Helens blew up. And I remember, because uh, in Spokane, the ash blew toward us, and so I remember like, being forced to wear a, a face mask and shoveling ash off our driveway, in the middle of you know, May, and, and, uh, and this feeling of kind of like doom as a child. Um, and so we all have memories of being engulfed in storms of one form or another, especially these little storms. But here's the deal. All of us, though we may not have experienced storms like that, have experienced storms of another kind. And uh, this sort of deep internal restlessness, like a, a feeling that something's just not right, either with us or with the world. So our relationships in turmoil, um, there's a sin that you're living with that you can't, it's just eating away at your soul and you feel like if anybody knew about it, you, they would never want to be near you. Uh, you lose your job or worse, you're, the meaning in your work that is just gone, so you're just getting the life sucked out of you. You have a diagnosis, a loved one dies, a shooting happens, and suddenly you are in the midst of a violent storm. In fact, my son asked me this morning, nine years old, about yesterday's shooting, he overheard Elizabeth and I talking a bit about it, and, uh, and he asked me, why, Dad? <laughs> why does this keep happening? And so he's nine, he's not reading the newspapers, we don't listen to the radio that much, and uh, I said, that's a great question. I don't know, that's a great question. So nine years old, and he, this effervescent, lighthearted, energetic boy, is being engulfed in a storm. So youngest to oldest in the room, we have experienced a storm of one kind or another, right? Right? You're not, you, you're not immune to the storms of our world. And so the question I think Jonah presents to us so artfully is why and how? Those are the questions. Like why does God send or allow storms, a good God? Why does he send or allow storms in our lives, in our world? And then how shall we respond? Like what's a faithful response to stormy seasons in life. So the end of chapter one of Jonah helps us answer those questions and the purpose behind God's storms and Jonah's response. So verse four is the purpose, I believe, we see behind these storms. And then verse 12 is Jonah's response. So we'll spend time kind of looking at those two verses uh, together. So first verse four and the storm. Actually, if you backed up to verse three, you see Jonah um, on the run. We, We talked last week about Jonah is a picture of a running man. So sin is, is essentially running from God. Um, that's the basic definition of sin, turning away from God and running away from God. So he's on the run. And then it says this in verse three, Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed to Tarshish, went down to Joppa. He found a ship uh, bound for Tarshish. 
After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, so there's a picture of sin. So he's called to go east toward Nineveh. He goes west. He's called to travel over land. He gets on a boat out to sea. He's he's called to a big, bad city. He gets a one-way ticket to the end of the earth, right? So he does the exact opposite of what God has called him to do. And so verse 4, here's God's response to him. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break apart. Which is a moment, I think, if you pause in the story, that will cause you, us to think, like, oh, here's this Old Testament angry God. Here we go again. He's just throwing lightning bolts down on unfaithful people. Um, he's angry at Jonah for disappointing, bang, right? Um, like, threatening Jonah like this enraged parent, right? That's a picture we get of God here. And, of course, that's a view you can't extract from the Bible, and especially the Old Testament of God, we see a lot of anger and judgment, and it's troubling, it's mystifying, right? But I'd invite us just to remember the bigger picture of the story of Jonah that we're in. So as you interpret the meaning of this storm, that God first wanted to send Jonah, if you read the, the earlier part of chapter one, to, to Nineveh, which is a capital city in Assyria, uh, to preach grace, Repentance and grace to to Nineveh. So Jonah's message, albeit a hard message, was to walk into the city and say, repent of your sin. So that's a message of grace, actually. That's to say, God, if you read the text, wanted to warn Nineveh, right? Wanted to tell them um, that you have a chance here to turn from your ways and an opportunity to turn toward God. So that's, and that's always how God approaches us. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad or if you know God or don't know God. John tells us this, in this in, in, about Jesus, the Son of God. God is a God of what? Grace and truth. The two go together. And so in that way, we get to say it's, that it's always God's mission to reach people and rescue them. And, uh, and thus, the picture that involves an angry God alone, just not an accurate picture of God. That's not the God of the Bible. It's another kind of God. And God's love is, is a severe love. It's not, this is not a rainstorm. This is a hurricane, Okay. But it's, it's, it's a love of a parent. Like, I have this picture of, again, my son. Um, I don't remember exactly where we were, but, you know, he's younger at this moment. And we're walking down a busy city street here in Seattle. And, and he's running ahead of me, as some of your kids do with you. And um, there's an intersection up ahead. And a busy one. And I know what's going to happen if I don't intervene here. And so I yell, Elliot, stop, at the top of my lungs. I would yell, except I'd probably blow your ears out. And he stops, he, but he's crying because he's afraid. Not just of, uh, he's afraid of me. <laughs> I mean, he's alive, but, and I run to him, I scoop him up. But see, that's the image here in Jonah. You have this image of an intervening God with a fierce love that intervenes to save, right? Now, we're fortunate, I think, with this word intervention, that's my word, but... Um, used to always be talked about in terms of a divine intervention, right? It's been adopted, though, by like AA and groups like that. So what's an intervention? Just real quick, quick aside. What's an intervention? Some of you know. Um, it's where a bunch of friends get together with an addict in a corner, surround him or her in love, confront him or her with the fact that they're sick, they're weak, out of control, and they have a choice. Here's your choice. You can either admit your sickness and your need for help, or you can die. That's an intervention. And it doesn't feel good. It's not a good fluffy moment. It's harsh. It's, it's real. It often leads to transformation, right? So here's the question in, with respect to Jonah and God. Is, what is God doing with Jonah? It's the same thing, isn't it? 
he, he's surrounding Jonah in the same way. He's saying, until you see that you're out of control, Jonah, that you've become a sort of wrecking ball, and just, you're destroying everyone in your path. Remember what this story read? They, he's causing this storm a little bit. The, and he has idols in his heart, the idols of race, nation, religion. They've gotten a hold of him. And God's essentially saying, until you realize, Jonah, you've become a racist, a nationalist, a hard-hearted Pharisee, that, that until you see the idols and the destructive power of those idols of your heart and what they're causing in, to the world around you and, and wake up, you're going to die. And it's going to cause a lot of damage to the people in your life. That's how God's interventions usually work. They surround us with fierce, stormy love so that we could turn back to God. That's the purpose of this storm. And so God allows storms in our lives, sometimes in this case, sends storms that we might wake up. This storm is a, a, a storm that's sent to wake Jonah up to that reality. I read something by C.S. Lewis in one of his books that this is sort of like God's megaphone. It's loud, it's, not, it's in Jonah's face, but it's effective. <laughs> and uh, it's sent to awaken Jonah to his sin. And, and so it, it, it you know, appears to be pure judgment. It's actually part, it's part, it's God's grace just waking Jonah up. Will he admit, like the alcoholic, I'm sick and I need help? Or will he die? And then cause the destruction and death of those around him? That's the question. And of course, we have to be careful, right, here, because it would be easy at this moment, I think, to conclude that um, every personal hardship you've ever faced, every bad thing that's ever happened in your life, and, and every bad thing, every storm in our world, these shootings from yesterday, have been acts of God, that God caused them, that God's using them. I heard that a lot after 9-11, some of us did, like, this is God's way of waking up the United States, right? We heard that. And not, you know, nothing could be further from the truth like, yesterday's shootings, I just need to say this, are not an act of God. They're not, nothing can be further from the truth. God, God is not behind this kind of violence. Um, especially in God's name, this kind of violence cannot be done in God's name. And it often is. And nor is the cancer in your body. Nor is the divorce you're having to endure. I mean, none of that is God going, I'm waking you up. <laughs> you know, wake up. Um, indeed, the first chapter, here's, here's why. The first chapters of Genesis teach us that God created the world and the human race not for suffering, disease, natural disasters, aging, but God created the world perfect and unblemished and good, right? Genesis 1. But we also know this in Genesis 3, that after God created the world good and perfect, evil enters into the story, right? And so this imposter, this intruder called evil, comes into the world and terrorizes the world and mars it and scars it. But here's the deal. By Genesis 6... We're told that God so tied his heart to us, humanity, that when he saw the sin and suffering of the world, and when he witnessed this marring and scarring and suffering of good creation, guess what he did? His heart is then filled with pain. God experiences pain. And what's more, and then you go to the prophets, Isaiah 63, he says that in our affliction, all of our suffering, all the storms, God is afflicted too. Isn't that crazy? That when we suffer, God experiences suffering. In our storms, God is experiencing the storm. Because that, Hebrews 2 tells us, because he shares in our humanity and our suffering, shares in our affliction, he has the power, sort of in some weird way, to break the power of death. I don't get it, but that's how God works. He enters in, he allows it, he doesn't cause it, and he has the power within it to break its power on our lives. And, and, and what this tells us is that God, not because he grieves when we in the world around us suffer, and he's actively involved in overcoming that, um, what this tells us is that we can, we can somehow be uh, 
faithful people within it. We're going to come to this, but Jonah couldn't see that. Uh, there's, a, there's a book by Tim Keller on um, Jonah that's been published just recently. He says that Jonah couldn't see that within the terror of this storm, God's mercy was actually at work. It's just drawing him back to change his heart so that he might be an agent of Nineveh's redemption. Jonah couldn't see that. We, however, sitting here today on this side of the cross, know that God can save through weakness, suffering, and apparent defeat. That, that at the heart of darkness, divine mercy is powerfully at work. That God's salvation came into the world through suffering in order that by his saving grace and power, he can work in our lives and, and through the storms of our lives. So God's at work. And, and so there's a reason behind the storm. Oftentimes it's for us to learn that God is at work in our world, in our lives, breaking the power of death. Sometimes it is to wake us up to the reality that we are uh, headed down a, a destructive path. So the question is, you know, I mean, storms are part of life. question is, when the storms come, because they will come, whether it's in your life, a member of your family's life, one of your children's lives, um, how will you respond? You can't just lock yourself in a bunker like I did with my parents that day. Um, how will you respond? Like our standard reaction, so this is verse 12, when a storm arises in our life, uh, is like Jonah. Jonah goes, if you read the story, goes down beneath the deck of the ship and he's asleep in this, during the this storm. And he's trying to ride it out. You know, he's hoping that they'll just get through it. And uh, sort of like I was with my parents that day with that tornado, you know. We say, God, I trust you're going to deliver me from this storm. And, but until you do, I'm just going to stay right here, curled up in this ball, and wait. And that might be a, an effective way to ride out a tornado, but um, you cannot ride out relational crisis. You cannot ride out temptation. You cannot ride out cynicism and apathy. You cannot write out the loss of faith. You cannot faithfully write out the things that are going on in our world. You can't just sit and watch and hope maybe something will happen and maybe I'll survive. You can't do that. That's not a faithful response. So the question us, that we need to ask is, how are we going to respond when storms come? And so that we might face these storms in faith. And Jonah's our guide here. So the Jonah verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 that we looked at last week, verse 5 even here, this week is really one that provides only a portrait of what not to do, <laughs> like period. When God brings a storm into your life, when a storm comes, don't follow his example. Don't run, don't hide. He's not our hero, okay? But in verse 12, we have a Jonah I think we can start learning from just a little bit, even if for a moment, a Jonah that demonstrates just for a moment what a faithful response might look like to a storm. So verse 12, what does Jonah say? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, I'll tell you, one of the most comical things I did this week as I'm trying to figure what he means by that. See, I have all these commentaries on Jonah. People who, men and women who know Hebrew, they know ancient texts, they know literary structure, they know etymology, they know grammar, they know all the good, all the stuff I don't know. And they could not agree on this question. Like, none of them. Not, no two commentaries could agree. What Jonah meant when he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. So some people say he's coming to his senses that he's, he knows he's disobeyed God, and he knows he deserves death. So this is like a confession. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my brothers. I deserve to die. That's one possibility. Others say he, he doesn't want them to save his life because he knows if his life is saved, he's going to have to go where? Nineveh. 
And he wants to go anywhere but Nineveh. So he, that's why he's, he says, I'm on the boat because I don't want to go. And uh, I'd rather die than go there. So this is like um, assisted suicide, I, you know, which is fascinating, I think. Like two totally different ways of reading the same comment. And the narrator of Jonah has such a great sense of humor, just leaves it up to you. What do you think, reader? Which Jonah, what's been your experience? Which Jonah are you today? Like, we're often left to wonder, right, and decide for ourselves. Because if we're honest for ourselves, we're often both Jonas. Like, we absolutely don't want to obey God because obedience is just like too much of a burden. I, don't want, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to do it because that's going to be too hard. And we equally and absolutely feel profound shame for our sin. And so we're like the first Jonah. All we, we, we think all we deserve is death. Like God's promises of life and freedom and wholeness, like that's too good a gift for us. So we just say, hey, I deserve to die. I don't deserve life. So which Jonah are you? That's the question this, this narrator's kind of begging you to ask yourself. It's a question worth pondering. But he, here's the deal. After some, kind of spending some time on that question this week and reflecting on which Jonah I am, um, I realized something. And that when Jonah says, pick me up and throw me in the sea, the conclusion I've come to at least this week is the meaning of that verse is somewhere in between the two. two somewhere in between the t- these two centers. There's like a third way, so to speak, which is always true at Bethany. There's always a third way. Because if you look at the rest of what Jonah says, he's kind of starting to come to his senses. He, he's not, because he's not looking at God. He's not, he doesn't pray at this moment. And in fact, he doesn't really pray till chapter two in the belly of the whale. We're going to get to that next week. Uh, he's not, he's He's not looking at God. He's not feeling shame and anger um, because he's looking at the sailors. Look at the story. He's looking at the sailors and I think he's starting to feel the first uh, inklings of empathy he's ever felt in his life, which is absolutely key to understanding how we might respond faithfully to the storms of life. Look what he says. He doesn't say, pick me up and throw me in the sea because I deserve, I deserve it. I'm guilty. He doesn't say, because I'm, I'm trying to get away from God. He, look, look what he says. It's my fault. I love that Dave picked up on this. It's my fault this great storm has come upon you. Upon you. It's my fault it's come upon you. He's looking at them. Do you see that? He's seeing these sailors. Um, he's probably feeling a lot of self-pity. <laughs> but it's remarkable to me that he's starting to come to a sense of spiritually because he's thinking of somebody for the first time. Somebody besides himself. And, and, and probably he's, he's probably waking up to something for the first time. He's looking at them, realizing their lives are in jeopardy because of my boneheaded decisions. And that's not right. They shouldn't have to die for me. Um, I should be dying for them. Like, I'm the guilty one. It's my fault this storm has come. It's my fault these, their lives are in jeopardy. That's not right. So he says, I don't want you to die for me. I'll die for you. Throw me in the sea. And notice, they don't really want to do it at first because they're scared that um, they know that their belief is that if they throw Jonah in the sea and he, that he dies, um, they'll have blood on their hands. They, and so they row against the waves. And of course, when that doesn't work, they finally decide as a sort of last-ditch effort to throw him in the sea. And look what happens in verse 15. They, they took Jonah, throw him in the overboard, and guess what happens? The raging sea grew calm, dead calm, immediately which is just amazing to me. It, it, and, and so what does it mean? It, it, you know, how should we like interpret this moment? 
is Jonah, if Jonah's not trying to commit suicide and Jonah's not accepting a deserved punishment, what does it mean for these men to throw Jonah overboard and for the sea to become immediately calm? And, and what does it mean about our faithful response to the storms in our lives, in our world? Let me tell you what I think it means. These sailors in these moments before throwing Jonah overboard, um, they're trying to find, if you noticed in the reading, who is responsible, right? So they have a sense this is some sort of judgment for sin. So they cast lots, um, and the lot falls on Jonah, and they ask these set of questions. Um, they're interrogating him. Tell us who's responsible for making this trouble for what? For, for us. Who's responsible for making this trouble for us? Did you see that? You know, so it's essentially their way of saying, why are we in this mess? And how do we get out of this mess? So the sailors are obsessed with one thing and one thing only in this moment. When they're being engulfed by this storm, they say, what should we do to you to make the sea calm for us? To you for us. So they're willing to go to God. And they're willing to do just about anything. But the key is they... They, they're still thinking about themselves, their safety, their futures. They're trying to save their own skin, essentially, which is exactly what I think I would do. Like, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to die, so what am I, who, and, and if my belief is that somebody else is responsible, let me, let me make them responsible, make them pay. And yet Jonah, in this beautiful act of, well, I don't think he realizes the magnitude of the moment, makes this audacious statement, Pick me up, throw me in the sea. It'll become calm. I know it's my fault. This storm has come upon you. And I think what he does there, unwittingly so, is he, he becomes the so-called fall guy, or what the Bible talks about, it's a scapegoat or, the, or God's substitute. Um, Jesus later says this in John 15, 13, a man willing to lay down his life for others. That's Jonah, if only for a moment, just a moment. So th- they're trying to save themselves and Jonah does something that later Jesus does. He laid down his life for others. So do you see how this is informing our response to storms? He's finally getting his mind off his, himself and finally begin to think about something other than his problems, his future, his struggles, his difficulties, his turmoil. He's realized that in the midst of this storm, he has an opportunity to be the presence of God and to bring calm to a very out-of-control situation. And these men on Jonah's boat, they're absolutely amazed by that. They kind of, uh, very uncommon in that day to sacrifice yourself like that. So they're not only, they're amazed that he'd do that, they're astounded that Jonah's God would not annihilate them. And so what do they do? They, they, they begin praying and they're all saved. Um, so one moment they're running around deck in panic. The next moment they're praying to Yahweh, who's the covenant God of Israel. And that's amazing. I'll just say, one of the most successful evangelistic strategies of all time. You can do it one time, so save it, but that's a joke. Thank you for laughing, Marie, yes. So here's, kidding aside, do you see what Jonah's doing here? He's giving us a profound picture of what a faithful response to storms in life might be, which is to ask God, even though this hurts, even though I'm suffering, even though I don't know how I'm going to get through this, whatever this is, be it a divorce, loss of a loved one, infertility, doubt, fear about the future, whatever your storm looks like. Even so, God, how can I participate in the healing of this broken world? How can I participate? That's why I'm here. That's what Psalm 116, 16, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms kind of paints for us. Oh God, here I am, your servant. 
your faithful servant, would you set me free for your service? Set me free, God. I'm just a servant. That's Ruth's posture. If you read the story of Ruth, in response to the death of her husband, her brothers, her father-in-law, she clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says these amazing words. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. Have you done, would you do that? Um, this was Jeremiah's point of view from the anguish of exile. He's kind of a contemporary of Ezekiel. We just finished studying Ezekiel. And he says to his fellow exiles, seek the peace of the city where God sent you, which is Babylon, a city they didn't want to be in and bless. Pray for them, plant gardens there, build family, cultivate community, be fruitful, grow where you're planted. Would you grow where you're planted, even though you don't want to be there? This was the response of this Amish community outside Lancaster in 2006 after Charles Roberts goes into a schoolhouse there and and kills 10 school children there. In the midst of their grief over the shocking loss, their community didn't cast blame, didn't point fingers, didn't hold a press conference, didn't... Instead, they reached out with grace toward this uh, killer's families. The afternoon of the shooting... An Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness toward the killer. The same day, neighbors of, those, of that community visited the killer's families, brought, him, brought them food, his mom and his dad. Later that week, the, his family, Charles Roberts' family, was invited to the funerals of some of the children. And the, I read that the Amish mourners at his funeral outnumbered his family. Would you do that? That's what Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, that I have seen great beauty of spirit in some who are great sufferers. We are suffering in this world. Is great beauty emerging from within you? Because Christ has put beauty within you. Um, and would you allow that to come be expressed through you? So it's, not, it's really not until we begin to see our problems, our, your reputation, your goals, your hurts, your struggles, the storms, not until we begin to see those are not the main thing or even the only thing uh, that we know how to respond, but that in the midst of the storms we're within, there's something more. There's an opportunity for us to be the presence of Christ in a very stormy world, bring peace, calm, wholeness, and what the Bible talks about is shalom. So might we be those kind of people with this profound capacity to look up from the storm with open hands and ask God, say, God, how can we be your presence of hope? This is really hard. But you've put your presence within us. How can we participate in what you're doing to reconcile all things to yourself to renew the face of the earth? So to that end, I want to invite us to pray together. Uh, and what I'll do as we kind of come to the table is I'm going to pray for us and then uh, I'll invite us, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer this morning and re- uh, as we prepare to come to the table. And so... Lord's Prayer is just a prayer Jesus kind of taught. It'll be on the screen if you're not familiar with it, and we'll pray that in unison together. Um, And so we just, for these first moments, just allow me to pray for us and with you, and then it'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Once again, Lord, we pause and um, we thank you that we have this opportunity to be shaped and to be in community this morning, to enter into a story like this that informs us. Um, We don't thank you, God, uh, 
that things like this are happening, these storms are happening in our world today. We are deeply grieved, especially again for the communities of El Paso, for um, Dayton, for other communities that are experiencing violence. And uh, we ask you, God, to be present. It's our desire, though, God, as the psalmist says, to be set free for your service. So many of us, God, though we're not in those cities, are facing storms in life. We're in pain. We're, we feel lost. We're helpless. So we're asking, we ask God now for the comfort that your spirit brings. And God, we also, um, we're aware that we live in a world of suffering that's being torn apart like Jonah's world was by these violent storms. So we ask, like the psalmist says, to be set free, to live lives um, of service for you. Show us, God, what you'd have us to do. Give us vision, give us courage, energize us, God, with faith. Thank you that Christ uh, went through the darkest most violent storm we can imagine on the cross and didn't just emerge on the other side but is victorious and we claim his victory this morning at this table. And so we pray in his name as he taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come,